I'd like to welcome you to today's Stats and Short Stories episode. Stats and Short Stories is a partnership between Miami University and the American Statistical Association. I'm John Baylor. I'm chair of the Department of Statistics at Miami University, and I'm joined by my colleague, Rosemary Pennington, professor in the Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. We're fortunate to be joined today by guest Carrie Mengerson from the Queensland University of Technology. She is a distinguished professor of statistics, an Australian laureate fellow, and currently serves as president of the International Society for Bayesian Analysis. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. You know, Carrie, we'd, we'd love to talk to you a little bit about some of the work that you've done thinking about remote sensing and the, the, the broad range of applications from thinking about agriculture, poverty, chemo brain, uh, treatments for Parkinson's. So, so let me start with a question. What, what is remote sensing and how could, how could that possibly be useful for all this diversity of applications? Well, we can think about remote sensing uh, in the broad sense as any kind of digital image. And so that ranges from satellites through to brain scans and uh, CAT scans. And so if anybody's had uh, an X-ray on their their arm, if they've broken it, then or parts of their bodies, then that can be thought of too as a type of remote sensing. So we're getting these digital images. It can also be signals. So we could have acoustic signals where we put a microphone into the forest and listen for animals, but it can also be then brain signals that we uh, obtain from somebody who's undergoing an experiment or a brain operation. How do you enfold this kind of material into your statistical modeling? So, Because I think a lot of people know what remote sensing information is, but then and then have an idea of what statistics is. And for some of them, there's not going to be an understanding of how you work these, these two things together. How do you enfold this stuff into the modeling that you're doing? Well, let me tell you that through a couple of stories. So if we're in, uh, in using uh, satellite data, we can use that for a whole range of areas. And for example, the uh, national statistics offices around the world through the United Nations are trying to use different methods for obtaining their official statistics. And so mm -hmm. uh, instead of just using surveys and samples, uh, they want to be able to use other sorts of information. And a rich source of information is through remote sensing. So satellite data, can tell us about agriculture, mm -hmm. can tell us about crop yield and crop production. So imagine that we have a satellite image and uh, it's looking down on an area. We can use uh, statistical methods and machine learning methods uh, to identify what kinds of crops there are growing and uh, what the potential yield of those crops might be. So we can do that then through a statistical model, a spatial model, that um, identifies different objects in that image. And we can take those same ideas then to our X-ray or to our brain scan, and we can look at that image and we can identify in that image objects like tumors or mm -hmm. bone breaks. And so that's, that's the statistical aspects of that is coming up with the algorithms that allow us to identify features in the data, but then also to be able to use those features in our statistical models or monitoring or analysis of uh, the, the brain status of a patient. So you mentioned um, in a talk before we started this interview the idea of, of chemo brain. Can you describe what that, what that is and how that, was, that is detected by an, this type of remote sensing data? Sure. So uh, chemo brain is a term for the uh, 
cognitive uh, changes that happen for somebody who undergoes chemotherapy. So in a study that I was involved in for um, breast cancer patients, uh, we looked at their long-term memory, short-term memory and executive function before, after and then a long time after their, uh, their uh, chemotherapy. And what we find is that people typically, uh, their, their short and long-term memory and cognitive and, and executive function will decrease markedly just after chemotherapy. So this is called chemo brain, where you can't find your keys, you know, and, you, and your short-term memory shot, and uh, and people are worried about whether that will uh, will recover. Well, most people do recover, but a small group of people don't. So there's sort of what we found were three groups of people: people who recover quite quickly, people who take perhaps a year, maybe even two years to recover to their, their previous levels of cognition. And then a third group that don't recover pretty much for a very long time. And so we can use statistical models to identify that's a real issue, chemo brain, but also what are the characteristics of the people who may suffer this kind of long-term change and then how can we manage that better? So this obviously is a team effort it's not just statistics. Statistics plays a really big role in it, but it's also medical practitioners and um, psychologists and a whole group of people working in the area. Wow, that's so you you were just monitor. There, there's monitoring this through through various brain scans, so you can look at at the what the impact uh, on the brain following chemo and then then the recovery post chemo. So it's through brain scans and also psychological tests mm. and also their symptom data. So there's a whole range of data that we need to be able okay. to combine in our statistical models. And then you're looking at predictors of that, you know, so the, the age of, of someone when receiving treatment or some other characteristics that might be important for predicting this recovery or the impact? That's right, exactly. And so this, this use of remote sensing data, as we might call it, so we have our direct observations, but then we also have... Uh, the, the the scans of people and uh, and other information that we can combine for this. So we've used the similar kinds of um, uh, brain scan data and um, brain uh, brain image data and um, brain signal data and symptom data for looking, for example, at uh, the uh, Parkinson's disease. So Parkinson's disease, as we know, is a, a very debilitating neurological disease that's uh, characterized by the shakes. And uh, these shakes can stop people from having a, a, a normal life. And um, so one of the treatments for this is deep brain stimulation where they put a probe into the brain and uh, the, then the, uh, the signal from the probe can counter these shakes. So the problem is that there are this works well for a group of people, but not for other people. So no. what are the characteristics of those people? So we had a neurologist who came in who said, I've got all of these records of patients that I've been treating, but um, and I know if I sit across the room from the table from somebody who is going to respond well, but how do I translate that to other people? And uh, how do I learn from this big pile of records uh, who this treatment is going to be effective for. Well, that's a statistical problem, a problem for statisticians. And so we can use brain scans, we can use brain signals, we can use symptom data to um, to tell us that. So as a statistician, I found myself in an operating theatre looking at brain signals, 
brain scans, uh, the symptom data, and watching a person have a probe put into their brain. And when it was put into the right place in the brain, suddenly their shaking stopped and they could open their hand and go, wow, I haven't been able to do that for many years. And uh, the next day they could walk and they could think about going back to work. And it was amazing. That works for some people, it doesn't for others. And it's a statistician's job to work out who's in which group. Uh, remarkable work. Well, well, Carrie, it's, it's been our pleasure to have you join us on Stats and Short Stories. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Department of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. Stay tuned and keep following us on Twitter or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on our program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu and be sure to listen for future episodes where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. You know, John, since we spoke to Carrie, I've been having a really hard time explaining what Bayesian analysis is. Uh, you know, Rosemary, I think you're the only one. <laughs> That's definitely a lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that, that others struggle with the same challenge. So... How do we get people to explain it in a way that's understandable to people who don't study it? Well, this sounds just like an opportunity, Rosemary. I mean, I, th I, th I wonder if the Stats and Stories podcast could do something to, to answer that question that you've just posed. Well, we have been considering launching our first contest. Well, you know, with that really slick website we now have. Statsandstories.net. And, and looking at that, you might even be able to submit something with this new website, perhaps an entry in a contest. I think a contest to challenge someone to see if they could explain what Bayes is better. Like, uh, we might even call that with a hashtag, Better Bayes. I like this. So what are we going to ask them to do exactly? I, I think it would be neat if they could maybe write a, a story headline and the lead for such a story, and that, that lead would be a sentence of less than 30 words describing what Bayes is. I, I think as the as since Richard is not here, I'm the journalist yeah. at the table. I like this idea, and it seems like a nice way of melding the stats and stories together. Yeah, because we're we're gonna see if you can explain this to your grandmother what what this is. So so what would what's a good headline look like? Uh, you know, it's short, and it is sort of a quick summation of what a news story is about. And then the lead, that first sentence, is basically captures the who, what, when, where, why. So all of the nuts and bolts of a story. That way, if someone is grazing the news story, they can get what they need from those two things if they aren't going to finish reading the story. So it's, it's everything you need to know, the nuts and bolts, the very basics of the story. It's, it sounds like an, an, an abstract boiled down to the essence of what's going on. That's exactly what it is. Well, you know, are you ready for that, folks? I mean, this is the challenge that we're posing to you. Right. Uh, go to statsandstories.net where you will see a form where you can submit a headline and a lead explaining what Bayesian analysis is. Uh, again, the way you might explain it to your grandma, to maybe your journalist colleague who has no idea what it means. We're not looking for a, a, a deep explanation. It's got to be the nuts and bolts of what Bayesian analysis is. And we're going to be looking at these. I mean, and actually, we're going to get a journalist, and we're going to get a Bayesian specialist, a statistician, 
and they're going to be reviewing these entries. And what we're going to do is we're going to identify a winner and they're going to have a chance to chat with us and perhaps the judges of this event talking about what kind of insights you had and what led you to describe Bayes' methods the way you did. So beyond becoming the first winner of the Stats and Stories contest and being crowned you know, the authority on Better Bayes, what else are we going to offer them? Thank you very much, Rosemary, for asking. The winner of this incredibly exciting opportunity and competition will be a year's membership in ISPA, the International Society for Bayesian Analysis, I, I know. Be still your hearts. This is what a what, <laughs> what a neat opportunity. And and you know you will have the the adoration of all of the stats and stories listeners. What more could you ask for, Rosemary? Uh, not much, John. Not much. <laughs> so the contest is going to be open for a month. We're going to close it on October sixth, and uh, then we'll take a couple of weeks to look through all of the entries uh, and decide on a winner. Then we're going to call you and talk to you and, and, and learn about how you came up with your definition. So get ready. We're looking forward to seeing what you think. And you can share your definition on Twitter if you want to using the Better Bays hashtag. Uh, but importantly, if you're going to submit a entry to this contest, you have to do it at the Stats and Stories website, statsandstories.net. That's it. We look forward to seeing it.